Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. We read of a, a queen, queen of the south, coming to see King Solomon, and she comes with a caravan of people. She comes with a tribute for King Solomon of riches beyond any of our wildest dreams and imagination. She leaves with a caravan of people, and Solomon blesses her like uh, multiple times more than what she was able to bring. And yet Jesus, when he enters the city, he comes with no wealth and with nothing. Later this week, we're gonna hear about Jesus speaking these words uh, when they come to arrest him and they tell him who they're looking for and he says, I am he. And it's so powerful that everybody hears it and they fall backwards onto the ground uh, because they can't stand in his presence or even hear these words of the Lord. Yet when he enters the city on uh, what we call Palm Sunday, he comes in weeping. He's almighty and he's powerful, yet he comes in weeping. So we know Jesus is king of kings. We know that he's lord of lords, but he's also the companion of the commoners. Yes. That's who we came to celebrate this morning. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for how you have decided and chosen to do um, the things that you've done, Lord. This morning, we've come into your house to be reminded uh, the things that you've done in the past, to thank you for what you've done in the past in our lives and the lives of others, Lord, but also in anticipation of what you're going to do in the future, Lord. This season every year comes around, Lord, and just like you told uh, the children of Israel to have memorial stones, Lord, and to always think back and to teach their children, Lord God, the same is for us. We remember during this time of year, uh, what you laid down, your life for us, Lord. You say that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. I ask that you would help us uh, this morning. I ask that you would help us this season. I ask that you would help us, Lord, to be uh, open to hearing from you over the course of this next week, especially, Lord God, but also to being used by you that others would be able to hear from you for maybe the first time, God. Have your way over this service. Have your way over these words that I share with your people this morning, God. And uh, just let your will be done. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So I've got a lot to share, so I'm going to get right into it. Jesus sets out from Jericho during this time, this Passion, Passion Week and this uh, Palm Sunday. 
And it's a reminder to everybody of the things that he had done for Israel in the past, right? He's headed to Jerusalem, but he sets out from Jericho, and they think about the victories they won. They think about the battles they had. They think about being delivered from Egypt, and then when they get to Jericho, it's the taking of the promised land. He's headed to Jerusalem, and it's this anticipation of everything that's going to happen for God's people in the future. This is this moment of transition for, uh, for the whole world, not just for the children of Israel. Jesus is going to come in and officially declare what he's going to do for his people in the future. It's been under the surface. There's been uh, murmurings about it. He would heal people and touch people, but he'd say, don't tell anybody. It's, the time is not yet. But now the time is here. Uh, when he's going to make this triumphal entry. Something interesting happens on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, though. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, this is verse 46, it says, They came to Jericho. Say Jericho. Jericho. Say Jericho. Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude uh, followed him. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. They called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. In my notes, I wrote that uh, even a blind man can see what's going on here. <laughs> Think about this for a second. It's literally this, the transition, this, this climactic moment where we're going from all things past into all things future. Jesus is going to be coming into the city. He's going to have his entourage and his progression. And yet there's a blind man. And he stops to have this conversation with him. There's moments in our lives where we can actually feel the significance and we can feel the energy of a moment. And this is one of those moments, I think, for many people. Jesus coming in and making this transition. Three years of ministry, three years of miracles, it's coming to an end, it's coming to a climax. But Jesus focuses all of his attention on one individual and speaks to this individual and heals this individual. Such a good reminder of who our God is. It'd be so easy to be like, man, I've got something important to do, I've got somewhere to be. But for you and I, hopefully this is a reminder that even though God has important things and places to be and things to do, he's never too busy for you never too busy for me to stop and give us all of his focus, all of his attention. It's almost as if Jesus says to this man, look, you've believed in me because obviously of what you've heard about who I am and what I came to do and what I'm capable of doing. But then Jesus says, but this is something that you need to be able to see for yourself, <laughs> literally. This man believed in who Jesus was. He had heard things about his power and his abilities. And he came crying to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. Do something for me. Jesus says, yeah, I will. And I want you to see it for yourself. I feel like that's what he says to a lot of us. This is something you have to see for yourself. So Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to read from verse 1. 
When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is where we get the Palm Sunday uh, kind of focus. He's coming into the city. They're laying these palm branches out, a lot going on. There's three things that I want to talk to you guys about this morning. If we don't freeze in the process, somebody do something with that AC. <laughs> three things I want to talk to you guys about this morning. First is what happens to the city the king enters. Second, what happens to the church the king enters? And third, what happens to the home the king enters? What happens to the city, the church, and the home that the king enters? So first off, what happens to the city the king enters? There's a lot of people groups in any city. Every city has a lot of different people groups in it. You have the disinterested. You have the religious. You have the expectant. You have the entourage, you have the rich, you have the poor, you have the educated, you have the ignorant, and a whole bunch of other people groups. The two that I want to look at are the disinterested and the expectant. I think the disinterested are important because I think they're the largest group in every city. <laughs> There's more people who are just not interested in what God has going on in the fact that the king is coming into the city. They have other things that they're focused on. And many of us remember being the type of people who were focused on other things. I think it's also the largest group because the other groups fit into the group of disinterested. You have rich and poor who are disinterested. You have educated and ignorant who are disinterested. We know from the scriptures, even the religious, when Jesus comes into the city, they're disinterested, they don't care. <laughs> Many of us ask ourselves when we look back, how could you be disinterested? It's Jesus, and he's coming into the city, and he's done all these amazing things. I know I look back and I say, how is it that he could do what he was doing? He could be who he was. He was raising people from the dead. He's coming into the city, and people are disinterested. They don't even care. I ask myself, how is that possible? But then I think about the world that we live in, and I remember it's possible. It's likely for people to be disinterested. Yeah. I want to share something that hopefully will help you see how possible it really is. This is a list of foreign presidents or prime ministers or kings who came into the United States in uh, 2017 is the last time that they have this record for. In 2017, uh, the prime minister from the United Kingdom 
from Jordan, from Japan, from Canada, from Israel, from Peru, Ireland, Germany, Iraq, Egypt, Jordan again, uh, People's Republic of China, Italy, Argentina, Australia, Turkey, Colombia, Vietnam, Romania, Honduras, Guatemala, Panama, Ukraine, India, Korea, Lebanon, Finland, Kuwait, Malaysia, Spain, Israel again, Thailand, Canada, Greece, and Singapore. In 2017, all of these prime ministers, presidents, or kings came into the U.S. How many of you were specifically aware of any of them when they came? <laughs> so you remember when they came in 2017 and you were anticipating it. No, I don't think so. We don't, and we didn't, and this is why. We're disinterested. It's not important to us. That's a lot of kings, that's a lot of presidents, that's a lot of prime ministers, that's a lot of very, very important people who came into our country and into these cities around the United States. But we had other things that we were focused on. The first thing that Jesus does as he prepares to enter the city is he weeps for the disinterested. He looks out and he, he begins to cry and he says, man, look at all these people who have no idea. Look at all these people who are disinterested. Look at all these people who could have a list of 40 presidents, prime ministers, kings come into their country and they have no idea. Luke 19.41 says, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You're disinterested, you're blinded, you can't see. I'm healing blind men who are interested and without sight they see who I am and that I'm coming into the city and then I look over the city and I see so many disinterested, so many blind and he weeps for them and he weeps for us. When you think back about that list and every year it's the same, all these people coming in here these VIPs. What if you're a foreigner here in the US? What if you immigrated here? You became a citizen, but one of those, those leaders that I listed was actually your king from your homeland. I think it might have been a little bit different for them back in 2017 when that person came, right? When uh, the prime minister from Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, when he comes, I'm sure there's some Jewish people who are very well aware of it. I'm sure that there's a bunch of them that even traveled to Washington, D.C. just to catch a glimpse of him walking into the White House. We had no idea they were even here, but there's a certain group of people that originate from that nation who call him their president, their prime minister, their king of Israel, right? And they're willing to do anything when he shows up just to catch a glimpse of him. They remind us what it's like to be expectant. They remind us that when you have a king, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, if he shows up, you show up. It reminds us that the expectant are looking for them and waiting for them, and they're willing to get moving whenever he arrives. Matthew 21.4 says, 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in this Palm Sunday uh, situation, this triumphal entry, it's saying, listen, this has been planned. It's been prophesied. It's going to happen. Remind them the king is coming to you. Get ready. Move. Do something. The prophet uh, that they're talking about here in Matthew is actually Zechariah. His name means the Lord remembers. Just think about that for a second. It says, hey, it's been prophesied that he's going to come. He's going to come on a donkey. And the name of the prophet that said this is the Lord remembers. He prophesied this 500 years before Jesus comes rolling into town. Amen. This is it. Zechariah 9, 8. They've been uh, in captivity. Now they're being set free. And it says, I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them. For now I have seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey. I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bull shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. 500 years before he shows up. <laughs> and it's saying these things about him. Yet some are disinterested. But others are expectant. In Matthew 21, these are the expectant in verse 9. It says, The multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That comes from a, a worship song that was also written 500 years before he came up. Amen. I get in trouble when I ask the worship team to play a song from like two years ago. <laughs> The triumphal entry is happening, and they're singing a song from 500 years before. That's a long time to be singing a worship song, a worship song about uh, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. This is Psalm chapter 118. I just really want us to understand the expectant. They're looking at prophecies from 500 years before. They recognize the king is coming into the city. They're singing songs from 500 years before. Amen. Are we expecting or are we disinterested? This is Psalm 118. This is the song they're singing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side and I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me. Yes, they surround me. But in the name of the Lord, I'll destroy them. They surround me like bees. They are quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I'll destroy them. 
You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, though, or excuse me, through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I think we sang that this morning. 500-year-old worship song you guys sang this morning. <laughs> Didn't even know it. Verse 25. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So Jesus comes into the city, and this is what they're singing. They're expecting to be delivered. They're expecting to see salvation. They're expecting to see uh, just miraculous things happen. But the Lord has delivered his people many times before. This is a familiar song for them over the course of uh, millennia. They get in trouble. They, uh, they're taken into bondage and captivity, and then the Lord delivers. So they've been singing these kind of songs for a long time. So it's familiar, but there's also something unique about this particular time. Every time that they've sung this, every time they've been delivered, every time God has sent somebody to help them, sent a prophet, sent a judge, sent a king, sent a ruler, sent a warrior like David, right? Good things have happened, but nothing has compared to what Jesus has been able to do when he came. The miracles that Jesus has done, nobody's been able to do things like that. The words that Jesus speaks over and over, they say, who do you think you are? Nobody's ever spoken like this. Jesus had come into the city many, many times already, but this time was unique. I hope that when you come to church, you say to yourself, man, I've come to this church many, many times already, but I'm expecting this time to be unique. I hope on Friday you say to yourself, man, I've been to plenty of prayer services or uh, Good Friday services, but I'm expecting this time to be unique. You've been through a lot of Easter's and uh, uh, hot pink shirts and Easter stuff and egg hunts. But man, I'm hoping this Sunday is different yes. and unique. Amen. I won't stay on this too long, but I really believe this. It's going to be special on Friday. And I believe that if we can get people here on Friday, we will pack out both of our Sunday services. Yes. Amen. I really believe that. Or I'll be looking at this group of people who I love. I love you guys. And you better be here for 9 and 11 because it's just going to be us. <laughs> You can do something many, many times, but man, if you're, if you're open to the spirit and you see what God is doing and you're expectant, you'll recognize that, hey, this is unique. Amen. There's something different going on here. 
This time Jesus comes into the city on a donkey. Mark 11 verse 1 says, They drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way, found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. So Mark gives us some interesting details here that we didn't see in uh, Matthew. You put all these gospel stories together, and you see that there was two donkeys. One was an adult, and one was a child, right? The child was, was of the adult donkey. The mother is there. That's the donkey they see. We also learn from Mark that Jesus tells his disciple that, hey, this is a young donkey, so young that no one's even ever sat on it before. As if it wasn't humbling enough that Jesus came into the city, not in the Pope Mobile, <laughs> not with an entourage or with a caravan of security that an army couldn't get through. He comes in on a donkey, but now we even see when you look at all the stories that it's a baby donkey. It's never even carried a load before. Never had anybody on it before. Too weak to do any of those things. And then here's Jesus riding into the city. So I wouldn't go as far as to say that these are the biblical meanings behind this, but these are the thoughts that came to my mind and to my heart when I was looking at this. King Jesus still comes into cities carried by those who have never really carried anyone before. How did, how did he get to you, some person you know? How is he going to get to those people that we expect to see hopefully on Friday and on Sunday? He's going to be carried by people who didn't carry anything before. Nothing of value, at least. He still comes into cities carried by those who are not really strong enough to carry anyone. Amen. This donkey couldn't work, <laughs> never carried a person, never carried a load, never plowed, never did anything. And now they're carrying the king into the city. When I look back on my life and I look at your lives, who are we to think that we could carry the king to others? So weak, so feeble, so underqualified, and yet that's how he comes into the city. Am I calling you a baby donkey? Yes. <laughs> but I'm one too. This is how Jesus decided to be carried into the city of Bray, at least by the way on a baby donkey that hadn't carried anything before of any value and that wasn't strong enough to carry anything into, into a city. Yet that's how he chooses to come in. A donkey's humble. It's an animal built for labor. It's not much to look at. <laughs> it doesn't have much value. But then all of a sudden when you're carrying the king, everything changes. Amen. Most of us are humble. Most of us labor. Some of y'all are decent to look at. Hey, girl. 
But man, our value, I don't see people knocking down our doors to kiss their babies. <laughs> right? I don't see people lined up outside right now to help you get to your car safely. But man, when you carry the king, all that changes. So that's what happens when the king enters a city. Let's see what happens to the church that the king enters. Back to the same story, Matthew 21. It goes on to verse 10. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? The multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? So for three years, King Jesus has been touring all of these uh, surrounding cities. He's been compelling people to come to the church. He's been healing them and saying, listen, Wait till you see my people. Wait till you see my church. Wait till you uh, hear the worship and see the offerings that's going on. Three years he's been doing this. And then when it's finally the moment where everybody's supposed to be there, he comes walking into the church and he realizes that he's been proclaiming a church that does not exist. I think about it when we go out to Sidewalk Sanctuary. You guys saw some of the pictures. We were just out there on Thursday. And we're telling people, man, this is a loving church. Jesus loves you. You got to come. You got to worship with us. One lady, we gave a flyer. She says, I go to church really far, but I'm looking for something close. She walked away. Then she came back. She said, hey, do you guys like worship? And we're like, no, we worship. <laughs> we don't come to play around. We come to worship the king. Hey, do you have children's church? Do you have children's ministry? All these things. And we're out there in the streets telling people, feeding people, inviting people. And then I wonder, man, what would it be like if they show up and it's like, man, the church we told you about isn't really the church that exists. We post all over Facebook and Instagram. We send messages to friends and family. I talk to the ministry leaders here a lot about, hey, we got to deliver on what we promise. <laughs> we don't promise people a perfect group of people in the church, but we do promise them a place where Jesus is lifted up. We promise them a place where they can encounter his love and his presence, where they can come to know him. I want to be a part of, I believe I'm a part of a church, but I want to be more a part of a church where anyone can come in here and get connected with anyone in this church and be loved, be helped, and be led. If you come in and you're, and you're 22 years old, we should be able to send you to any of our young adults and they will help you serve God. Amen. They will introduce you to who he is. They will teach you how to read the word of God. They will teach you how to worship. Amen. If you come in and you're an eight-year-old, listen, you're going to go up to our 7 to 11 class and you're not going to be ostracized. You're going to be loved. You're going to learn how to pray. You're going to learn how to worship. You're going to actually read the packet and go through it and learn about the word of God. Amen. Not just whatever the teacher felt like doing that day. 
If you come in here as an adult, if you're married, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're whatever you are, you are going to be loved. You are going to be encountered. You are going to be welcomed into something. You are going to encounter the living God. Or are we promising things that we can't deliver on? Are we talking about a church that does not exist? Because Jesus did three years of ministry, and when he came to the church and said, hey, it's time for all those people I've been inviting, all those people I've been touching, all those people I've been healing, it's time for them to come and see the source and the place, the meeting ground for that. And he's like, what is this? I get so angry when I hear people and their drama in the church. (laughs) Who doesn't like this? Who doesn't like that? Who doesn't want to do this? Who doesn't want to do that? Who would rather have it another way? Who would rather have it a different way? And that's not how I like it. That's not how I was raised. Well, it ain't about you. (laughs) And then I think to myself, man, I wonder what Jesus felt like on that day. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have been planning this day, this moment, this season, since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. (laughs) And it's finally here And people are more concerned with themselves and what they want to do at the church than God and what he wants to do at the church. So what does Jesus do when he enters the church? He rearranges things with complete disregard for how others would like it to be. We know how he comes into the city, and we need to be reminded this morning of how he comes into the church. He comes in, and if it's not what he wants, he will rearrange it, and he's not going to ask our permission. He doesn't care how we like it. He doesn't care if we didn't like the temperature this morning. (laughs) He doesn't care if you didn't like the reading or the scripture. or what. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He's going to rearrange it, and he's going to actually do it violently with complete disregard. He says, hey, if it's your house, you can do what you want, but this one's mine. I don't have to ask you how you would like it to be. He says, I'm the one that has power. I'm the one that has authority. You've been working at this church for a long time, but it's mine. (laughs) That's what all these scriptures we've been looking at lately where he gives people uh, a certain amount of money or a certain amount of seed or whatever he's giving these people. He's saying, listen, yeah, you've been working there, but it's not yours. It's mine. You've been leading there. You've been ministering there. You've been doing all these things, but don't forget that it's mine. I have the power. I have the authority. John chapter 2, verse 13, same portion of scripture, but in the, the gospel of John, it says, the pastor of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. No glitz, no glamour, no sales, no commissions. No money exchanging. No, this is a house of prayer. You came here to pray. You came here to worship. He made a whip with cords. I love talking about this portion of scripture because it wasn't like this violent outburst where he was out of control. He was like, oh, okay, okay. Go ahead, keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) He makes this whip like, oh, you think it's a game? You want to play around in my church? 
You want to act like you're worshiping, but you're sinning. You want to act like you're, you're leading people, but this is not how you live all week long. This is just how you live when people are watching. Okay, okay. And then he comes back and he starts whipping people out of the church. Not in my house. <laughs> not in my house. Flipping tables over. He says, it's a house of prayer. When the way this church, when this house has more people at a Friday night prayer service than at a Thanksgiving dinner, that's when you'll see miracles. Yes. That's when you'll see healing. When we have more people who are willing to go out and reach others and to pray for others than want to be counseled about what they're particularly going through, that's when you'll see miracles. Amen. That's when you'll see healing. When people are coming to the leaders, the elders, the pastor, and saying, hey, there's somebody who's really hurting, and I think we've got to do something to help them, instead of, I'm going through something, how can you help me? That's when you'll see miracles. My house will be called the house of prayer. The good news is when Jesus is done doing all that stuff, he did it in love. He wasn't like angry and I don't want to ever see anybody again. <laughs> it says that after he did all that, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He had to rearrange. He had to uh, get the church right. He had to make it no longer uh, what people wanted to do there, but what he wanted to do there made it a house of prayer, and then people could get healed, people could get touched, people could get saved, people could get changed and transformed. He comes into the church with promises of destiny and eternity and purpose, living in his presence, but he confirms that a lot of times by touching our lives right now in the present, healing us in some way, helping us in some way. One more thing I think is, is interesting that happens when the king comes into the church is that the fake people are upset and the real people respond in worship. This is Matthew 21, 14, and 16. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. He healed them, but the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you've perfected praise? In Luke chapter 19, it says this, the Pharisees called him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I like that one even more. Jesus is saying this, You guys can be upset because I'm here, and you've been running the church, and people have been coming to you and praising you, but <laughs> you're upset because you're fake, and it's not real, and you're not really here 
to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. These people who are worshiping me, this is an involuntary response. I can't stop them if I wanted to. They recognize who I am. They recognize that I've come to my house and that they happen to be in my presence and they worship. He says, even if I tried to stop them, even if I could stop them, the rocks would cry out because worship of the king is an involuntary response. It's the only thing you can do when you're in his presence. Yes, amen. I think about it all the time because my wife is a worship leader. <laughs> and I see her like worshiping God. I see her team worshiping God and trying to get us to worship. Like, come on, guys, worship with me. Come on, guys, dance with me. Come on, guys, sing with me. Come on, guys, raise your hands. Come on, guys, just let God have it. And then Jesus is saying, no, actually, if they know me, it'll be an involuntary response. They can't help but say, God, who am I? They can't help but say, oh, God, I surrender everything. They can't stay in the back because they'll be saying to myself, he's up there. I got to go. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. I can't stop them. These are my children. They're babes. These are my children. And it praise is perfected out of them. It's not perfected in practice several times a month. Amen. It's not perfected in a skill or a talent or an ability. That's right. It's perfected because I know who he is and I have to worship him. Amen. It's an involuntary response. So that's what happens when the king enters the city, when the king enters the church, and then finally what happens to the home the king enters. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, like we've been talking about, and he enters a home. So we've got uh, a blind man that he enters and encounters. We've got the city that he weeps over and he begins to, to come into. We've got the church that he enters into. And the same time, if you look through all these Gospels, uh, he enters a home. This is Luke chapter 19. Same time, right? Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. That's where we started this morning. Verse 2. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down here, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Just thought about something as, as I was reading this. I, I added that last scripture that it says, you know, he's getting near Jerusalem and he began to speak a parable to them about the fact that they think the kingdom is going to just appear right now when he walks into the city, but that's not really the case, right? So he begins to teach them, like, hey, this is wonderful, where we've been, where we're going. I'm on my way to the city, but I can see that you guys think that I'm about to, like, just kill all the Romans and everything's going to be perfect. It's not going to be like that. He's preparing them. 
the thought that came to my heart right now is earlier this week, I was reading, studying, and I said to myself, man, it would be awesome if people in the church would just take whatever topic, whatever chapter, whatever area of scripture that interests them and really study it out a little bit. If you look at even what we've looked at so far this morning about all these different stories that are happening in the same like week, the same time as Jesus is leaving from Jericho to Jerusalem and all these things that are happening, I think it would be a blessing to you and to your walk. It would be the type of thing that you study out for a few weeks or a couple months and you would be able to share in depth with people that don't know the Lord some amazing things. So here's Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus. He's willing to climb up in a tree to get a glimpse. And it's so important. Jesus is not interested in giving people a glimpse. You know, a lot of people want God, but they just want a little bit of God. You know what I mean? I think many of us used to be like that when we were unsaved. We're like, no, we just want to like, we just want to be like, like the rappers and the artists who don't live for God at all. But if they get an award, God, I just want to thank you for everything that you made this happen for me. Or you don't serve God at all in your relationship, but you want to have a Christian wedding. Like, a lot of us just want just a little bit of God so we could say we're spiritual. But Jesus is not interested in that. Zacchaeus is like, oh, man, he's coming into the city. I kind of want to see him, but I'm too short. There's too many people. I'm going to run up, climb up into a tree, and then I'm going to get like a nice glimpse. I'm going to get my camera ready. (laughs) Jesus says, no, actually, I want to invade all of your space. Jesus says, I must stay at your house. He didn't say, hey, I want to I meet you one-on-one. I want to grab your baby and give it a kiss. No, he says, hey, I see you up in the tree, and I want to stay at your house. Everybody's saying, this dude is a sinner. Why is Jesus going to go to his house? Jesus says, look, you're all sinners. <laughs> you just don't understand it. You just don't know it. He says, but I want to invade all your space. I want to come. I have to stay at your house. He says, come down. We're going to your house now. You know what that means? Zacchaeus does not have time to go home and make his situation look better than it really is. There's no party planning. There's no cleaning the house. There's no stuffing stuff into other drawers. There's no getting rid of stuff out of your refrigerator, out of your drawers that shouldn't be there. None of that. Zacchaeus is like, dang it, I just wanted to see the dude. (laughs) He wants to come and stay in my house today. That's the danger with Christianity is like if you come peeking in, that might be the last day for you. That's what happened to me, and I, I hate to admit this, but it's true. When I got saved and I realized that it was real and I was never going back, I was like, dang it, if I only knew I only had like two more days, I'd have done some crazy stuff. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you guys that. But it's true. I knew it was over. I'm never going to be allowed to do what I used to do. I'm never going to be allowed to go where I used to go. And if I would have known that the last time was the last time... <laughs> That had to be what Zacchaeus felt like. Dude, I just wanted to look at you. And now you're all up in the crib. (laughs) So Zacchaeus is caught between the people of God, right? He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. And these are his people. But he also has one foot in the world where he's like, but I work for the Romans. And they're providing a good life for me. I'm rich. (laughs) 
and he's stuck. But yet something inside of him is saying, man, my people, my God, our God, I want him. I just want a glimpse, but I want, I want both. And we can look down on him, and they're all calling him a sinner, but he's actually doing more than most people were then, and he's doing more than most people are now. Right. The scripture said what? He said, I give half of everything I have to the kingdom. We're worried about 10%. We're worried about an offering. He says, 50% of everything that I have, I give. Then he says, if I do wrong to anybody, I don't just restore what I accidentally took from them. I give them four times as much of what I took for them. Morally, he's better than most of us. There's a lot of people who are not Christians and are not serving God, but they have better moral behavior than we do. But check this out. The king comes into a home and he says, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, all that is great, but I really have to go deeper than your finances and your personal behavior. Like, I know that that's what you think I'm all about. I know that's what most people that are not saved, even a lot of people who are saved, they think it's just about your money and it's just about your moral behavior. Can you be good? Can you be nice? Can you control your, your uh, emotions? Can you uh, live a way that honors your body? Right? That's all it is. That's all Christianity is, right? But Jesus says, no, I want to come into your home and that's not what I want to deal with. What does Jesus say? He said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He says, he also is the son of Abraham, and the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't say the son of man came to get 10%. He didn't say the son of man came to make sure that you're behaving in a moral way. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. I'm coming all the way into your house for salvation. I want to talk to you about the work that I'm doing, not the work that you're doing. How amazing is that? You're up in a tree thinking you're just going to get a glimpse. He comes all the way into your house, and then you're like, oh, even though he's here, at least I'm doing kind of good by people. And he's like, I don't care about that. It's not about you. It's about me. I came. You need to be saved. I'm doing the work of salvation. Matter of fact, I'm on my way to the city to tell the world about what I'm actually doing, and I'm going to stop in your house first. When the king comes into a home, he wants to talk about salvation. And when he comes into a home, he expects it to become a standing invitation. You know what that means, a standing invitation? It means, Lord, you can come anytime you want. I don't need advance notice. You don't have to call before. You don't have to check with us. It now becomes a standing invitation. This house is now your house. Many of us have anointed our homes and said, Lord, bless this, and we put oil and we prayed, but then we expect him to have to make arrangements with us when he wants to come back. Oh, Lord, we're fighting right now. You have to come another time. Oh, Lord, I'm stressed out right now. I'm burdened financially. You'll have to come another time. Just like, no, no, no. Once I come once, it, it's, it's my house now. <laughs> so good. I'm going to close with this. Same area, Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. 
A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? This fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring out this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Prophecy is a, a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing, and fulfillment is, is amazing, right? So 500 years before, they're talking about him coming on a donkey, and they're worshiping, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 500 years later, Jesus shows up, and exactly what they said was going to happen is happening. Then Jesus, 2,000 years ago, says what this woman has done has been a good work, and the poor are always going to be here, but it will always be preached what she did. And here we are 2,000 years later, and what he said is true. Amen. We still have poor right? And we're still talking about this lady who poured out her oil. Wouldn't it be interesting to know what else is in this book? So this Simon, another home that they're in, just like Zacchaeus' home in this, this, this moment, they're in the home of uh, Simon a leper. It could be the same Simon or the same leper that came to Jesus Many of us know the story, love the story, and he comes to Jesus. Nobody's been around him. Nobody has uh, touched him, right? They have to yell out unclean. They have to live isolated. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus says, I am willing. And he reaches out and touches him and he's completely healed, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if this is the same leper, the same Simon, and now what's going on? Jesus is in his home. Why? Because it's a standing invitation, when you've been touched by God, when you've been healed by God, there's nowhere he can't go in your life, nothing he can't do. That leper left the presence of, of Jesus. He says, go to the church, show them what I've done for you, and then make your offering, make your tithe. What Moses has required, do that. Show them that you are a part of the body. You are no longer isolated. Right? It seems that Jesus was able to come back to this man later and he was still serving and still opening his home to the Lord. Mark tells us a little bit more about this life group meeting in Simon's home when the king comes. It's a life group. Amen. They're meeting in a home, and Jesus comes to the home group. Mark 14, 7, Jesus says the same words. You have the poor with you always, so we know it's the same story. And whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So think about this. You've got Simon in the house, and it's his house, right? He's been healed of leprosy. You've got this woman in that house who understands who Jesus is. It says that she broke this, this flask and poured it on his body for his burial. So she's expecting, she knows who's in her house or in his house. She knows who's in the life group. <laughs> it's not just this woman and Simon. No, Jesus is here. She brought this oil and, and Jesus himself says, she did it for my burial. She knows that he's about to die. 
And even the disciples don't really know. They're not convinced yet. Churches are full of women like this. Some men too, but women like this where everybody has positions, everybody has titles, everybody's doing all this crazy stuff for the Lord. And then there's just some little old lady sitting there. And every week she brings in her flask of oil to pour it on the Lord because she really knows what's going on. Had an opportunity this uh, last Wednesday night. Uh, the, the Chino Life Group met at our house instead of at Miss Peach's because she's out of town. And uh, I sat with two little ladies like that. <laughs> we went through the questions. We prayed together. We talked. We ate. We laughed. And I was like, man, these ladies know what's going on. They know the king. <laughs> they brought their oil. They poured it out. It was so special. It says that uh, Jesus says this about her in Mark 14, 8. She has done what she could. That just really hit me this time. I'm looking at all the stories of the same time, the same walk, the same journey to the city. And this woman, it says she did what she could. And I thought to myself, man, how many of us need to stop thinking about all the things we want to do or might do or should do but don't do and just do what you could do? She's like, man, I got a little bit of oil, and that's what I can do, so that's what I'm going to do. And it says this, she's done what she could do. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. That's the other thing that stood out to me. A lot of us need to start doing things beforehand. Don't wait till you're in the middle of drama. Don't wait till it's all falling apart. Don't wait till the foundation is crumbling at your feet. That's how I came to the Lord. I don't need to stay in that place with God. We can do things beforehand. Be expectant. Recognize he's coming into the city. Recognize that he's in your home. Recognize that he's in your church. And do what you can beforehand. Finally, we've seen it in Matthew and Mark and Luke. John tells us a few last details about the king coming into this home and this group of people in the life group. So hopefully it's painting a a good picture for you. We've already got Simon and this woman This is John chapter 12, same time. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for the sake, or not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So Simon the leper opens his home for the king to come in as he pleases. 
We find out here that it's Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. She's the one that has saved this oil to anoint Jesus. Martha is in this life group. And she's serving everybody at the house, cooking up the food. And then it says this, that there's a great number of people in the area that they knew Jesus was in that house. Man, when the king comes into a home, some amazing things happen. It says that many came to see Jesus, but they also came to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. People will come to meet Jesus, even if they come to church to kind of be up in a tree trying to catch a glimpse. They will come to see if what they say about him is real. But man, they're coming to see you too. They're coming to see the lepers that have been healed. They're coming to see those who were dead, but now they're alive like Lazarus. So much is happening in the triumphal entry. This ain't just about donkeys and palm branches. So here's the last thing I want to say. If you want to see your family saved and serving God, you need to let God into your home like Lazarus did, or excuse me, like Zacchaeus did. Right? We're always talking about, man, I want to see my cousin, my brother, my aunt, my uncle, the people we're texting, come to church, come to Easter. I want to see them saved. Well, what Zacchaeus did was he let Jesus all the way into his house. With no advance warning, with no preparation, Jesus just come in. Whatever's not right, I'm sure we'll get it right over time. You want to see the people you love get saved and serve God? It's not going to be about how many times you invite them. It'll be about how serious you are about inviting Jesus into your home. You want to see your family saved and serving God? You need to be healed and raised to life like Lazarus was. It's one thing to let him into the house, but if you're not healed, if you don't recognize that, man, I've died to my old life, and just like Lazarus was dead in the tomb for four days, and Jesus said, roll the stone away, loose him, and let him go, when that happens to you, people will be coming and knocking on your door to find out how that happened. I'm so tired of inviting people. (laughs) I'm so tired of people saying, like, I think about you guys all the time, like, man, they've probably exhausted all the people they can invite. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? You can only invite so many people so many times, but you know what? Man, if there's a Lazarus, I was dead, but now I'm alive experience, you'll have too many people that want to come. What a better problem to have. You want to see your family saved and serving God? You have to give what matters most to you to the Lord, just like Mary did. What she had that was the most valuable in her life was this oil that was worth enough to take care of her and her family for a long time. And she's like, you know what, Lord? It's all for you. It's all for you. So many of us want to see our friends and our family saved, but we hold on to what's valuable to us instead of giving it to the Lord. And that's why we don't see change and transformation in their life. There's a song by, I think it's Kim Walker, and it sounds kind of funny the way she says it, But she says, I'm going to waste it all on you. I'm going to pour my heart's perfume. And this is the scripture she's talking about in the song. What she's saying is, this is what I have, and I'm going to waste it all on you. The reason I say it sounds funny is like like waste, but I understand what her heart is saying when she sings the song. She's like, look, people could tell me save some. People could tell me I could do something better with what I have, but this is my heart's perfume, and I'm going to waste it all on you. I'm dumping it all on you just like Mary did. 
and yet she sings for the whole world and helps people enter into worship because she took what God gave her and she gave it all back to him. And the last one, you want to see your family saved, serving God, you need to serve like Martha did. Right? You've got Zacchaeus letting uh, uh, the Lord come into his home. You've got uh, Simon the leper letting uh, the Lord come into his home. You've got Mary pouring out what matters most to her. You've got Lazarus being raised from the dead. And then you've got Martha just serving. This is what a Palm Sunday triumphal entry really looks like. How many of these people can you and I identify with? Because this is the kind of entry that Jesus wants to make into the lives of every man, woman, and child. If you start at the beginning, he wants to open our eyes like that first blind Bartimaeus that he, he met on the road. He wants to be able to uh, come and take the donkey off of somebody's porch and say, hey, whatever I got, Lord, if you need it, that's all you had to say, it's yours. He wants to be able to come back into a home and into a life group where those that he's touched over a period of time are gathering still to worship him and talk about him. That's what our life group should look like, right? We should walk into a life group on Wednesday night and be able to say, oh, there's Zacchaeus. There's Simon the leper. Oh, there's Lazarus. Remember when he told us about how he was dead and he got brought back to life? Oh, there's Mary. She's over there. Remember when she told us about how she poured everything she had on Jesus? That's what our life groups are supposed to look like. So when a stranger comes walking in, we're about to open these life groups up soon to people who don't know the Lord, people who aren't in church. When they walk in, they shouldn't see just regular people sitting there. They should see people like that. That's what our life groups are supposed to look like. Amen. And then they'll have a desire. They'll leave and say, man, the king's in that house. What an opportunity we have. My hope is that uh, this story of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, Isaiah, you can come. I hope that this story of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry is a story that you've heard before. But man, I hope that this morning you've heard it in maybe just a little bit more of a unique way. I hope that uh, when you tell the story, to friends and family this week that you see yourself in some of these characters. I hope that uh, we see that it's about more than um, waving palm branches. Why don't you guys stand with me this morning? We see that it's about more than a, a donkey, a humble entry, a king on a donkey instead of with a motorcade. We see someone or something that's too weak to even carry the presence and carry the king, and yet God does a miraculous work. We see many triumphal entries into every area of our life. Physical healing, emotional healing and commitment, we see his finances with Zacchaeus. We see everything here. And then Jesus weeps as he looks out and says, man, there's so many who are disinterested and didn't know the time of their visitation. My hope is that uh, 
That's not us this morning. That's not us the rest of this week. That's not us the rest of this year. Last week and this week, we put out a few different calls and said, hey, share this picture, share these services, tell friends, tell family. And so far, it seems that maybe some are disinterested in doing that. <laughs> but Jesus came into the church, flipped some things upside down, ran some people out with a whip of cords, and it says after that, people came to him and started getting healed, started getting loved, started getting touched. He always gives us another opportunity. So that's what we're going to do today. Prayer and communion time. Just two questions. The first is for salvation. You've heard what happens when the king enters a city this morning. You've heard what happens when the king enters a church this morning. And you've heard what happens when the king enters a home this morning. And this is the most amazing question. The, the best part for me is if you'd like to know what happens when the king enters an individual life this morning. It's amazing when you see him doing all these things on the outside. But nothing compares to when you feel him doing all these things on the inside. True salvation, uh, when you have it, the un involuntary response is worship. You won't stop yourself. You won't be able to stop yourself from loving him and seeking him. You'll overcome every obstacle. You don't like to read, you'll begin to love it. Five, six years down the road, who knows how long. <laughs> You don't like to pray, you'll find yourself talking to God when you don't even know why. You don't like to sing, you'll find yourself driving off to some isolated place where you can actually just let your voice out and be heard by God. But he wants to come all the way in, there's no glimpse. He wants to invade your space just as you are this morning. So if that's you, never really given your life all the way to the Lord, but you want to, can you identify yourself? Just raise your hand, wave at me. Say, I want him all the way in. I'm not going to turn back. Anybody this morning? Amen. Second question, second call, is if there's anything that ministered to you, we want to open the altars to you, and we want to open communion to you, we have a prayer team that will pray with you. Just anything that you feel the Lord saying to you that you need to respond. I want you to see yourself as we open the altars. I'm going to close in prayer, but as we open the altars, I want you to see yourself maybe like Zacchaeus, where you know he's there, you feel his presence in the room this morning, and you feel him saying, man, you've got to come. You've got to get close. You've got to see me. Make your journey to the altar like you're climbing up that tree to see him and, and watch what he does. He'll go further than what you expected this morning. Maybe like Simon the leper or like Zacchaeus, you've been touched by God, you've been loved by God, but you feel him saying like, I need a standing invitation to be able to come in anytime I want, anywhere I want, for any reason I want. Maybe you've been holding back in some of those areas in your life and this morning you want to be able to say, come to the altar and say, Lord, you have a standing invitation. You don't have to call me in advance. You don't have to make a reservation. All areas of my life are open to you. Would you come to the altar so that we could pray with you this morning? Maybe it's you this morning and you're saying to yourself, 
Like Mary, I have things that are valuable to me, things that I've acquired, things that I've been protecting, things that I've been making sure not to lose. But man, I want to give everything to you, Lord. I want to pour my heart's perfume. I want to just give you what is most valuable to me. I want to give it to you, Lord. The altars are open for you this morning. Would you come so that we could pray with you? And maybe like Martha, you just feel the Lord saying, it's time to serve others. It's time to lay down your life for the sake of others. Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. If that's you this morning, the altars are open. Would you come and say, Lord, I hear you calling me to serve. I hear you calling me to ministry. I hear you calling me to consider others before I consider myself. This Palm Sunday, Lord, I want there to be a triumphal entry into my heart, into my mind, into the depths of my soul where I'm changed. It's not just another time of coming into the church, but something unique and special is happening to me right here, right now in this moment. If that's you, would you come to the altar? Just let the Lord wash over you this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you continue to enter in, Lord. That it's not a one-time shot. That you're constantly working, constantly moving, constantly seeking us. Wanting to come further and further into the house. Wanting to have more and more space that belongs to you, Lord God. Help us here in this place, your sons and your daughters. You say that this is where praise has been perfected, Lord. Not in our singing abilities, but in our ability to respond to the presence of God. Lord, we will not allow the rocks to cry out on our behalf. We've come to you, Lord. Meet us here in this place. Touch us here in this place. Let, let no Palm Sunday ever be the same, Lord God. Prepare us for this Good Friday. Prepare us this week to do something different. Read a little more. Pray a little more. Worship a little more. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for something unique to happen this Friday. Give us the words, give us your power, your presence, your spirit, Lord God, to be able to reach out to our loved ones in a new way, in a unique way, Lord, that they would be here, that they would walk into a life group like something they've never experienced before. Touch your people this morning, God. We love you, we worship you, Lord. We receive communion. <laughs> you prepare us to hear about it, Lord, this Friday about that last supper or that first communion service, Lord God. That's what we're doing here this morning. That's what we'll be doing here this Friday, Lord God. Let it be special and unique in this very moment, Lord. Send your presence, send your spirit like a rushing wind, Lord, inside of us. We love you and we thank you, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. You're free, you're released. You can worship, you can get prayer, you can have communion this morning. Hallelujah. Have your way, Lord. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 
in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.